Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the greatest trainer in the history of boxing, Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Who is that? <laughs> is that Grizzly Adams? It's my quarantine disguise. That's that's not a that's real. <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing out in California? Are they keeping? I know that they're grabbing toilet paper up over here. <laughs> are, what are they grabbing? Razor blades up over there. My California friends aren't going to approve of this. This is far too rustic for them. But uh, I, I, I was going to shave it off, and my wife, my wife liked it. And she said, no, no, keep it on. Let's hear what Teddy has to say. I said, oh, Teddy's going to have a lot of opinions well, on the beard. I mean, you're grooming <laughs> it. I, I see uh, you, you're sure you are making sure it's not messy. You're, you're taking good care of it. You're, I'm trying. You're grooming it. Let me ask you, when... When you're in your Lamborghini uh, and your Ferrari, does do you keep the window? Uh, do you keep the um the top down? Does it cool it off? Does it feel? I mean, I mix it up. Does that come into play at all? I mix it up a little with the beard. I tend to keep the uh, top up a little. It gets the beard all uh, mussy. But if it's uh, when I'm clean shaven, I keep the top down typically. And always when Rob's here, he insists on the windows and the top down so everyone can see him. Yeah, <laughs> everyone can see him. <laughs> hmm. Those Ferraris are a big hit. One of these days, we'll give a tour of my uh, dream garage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let everyone see the cars. Yeah, it'd actually be uh, Le Leno. Leno's garage, but <laughs> <laughs> we can put my nanny's car in there, my wife's minivan. It'll be a big hit. Yeah. <laughs> you look good, kid. You look good. Thanks, brother. Glad How you doing? Good. How you holding up? Yeah. You had your um you had your um COVID test. Give me the details. Yeah. Thank God everything was came back negative. Um and how was the process? What was the testing and the swab like? It was painful to swab. They push. They have to go up high up in your in your nasal cavity to get in a you know accurate test, I guess. So they go up pretty high. So it's a little painful, to be honest. But, yeah. You know, it's it's quick and experts doing it and good people doing it. I'll be honest with you, I was uh, it was like an army combine in Staten Island. It was uh, they added near a, a hospital in a parking lot area where they had to, I guess, the National Guard, but to me it was all Army. And they had to place uh, hunkered down with all Army personnel, medical personnel, different checkpoints. You had to go through like eight different checkpoints. Uh, yeah. it's It was pretty surreal, to be honest with you, yeah. like a movie. Like a movie you never thought that become visiting you, you know, yeah. reality. It it really did, it did um, strike home, as far as those sci-fi movies we used to see years ago. Yeah, never thinking that it could be that close to happening. Uh, you you, again, it's just all these army people, tremendous people, tremendous. Can't applaud these people, these frontliners enough. The health aide, the nurses, the the doctors, everybody, the the national guardsmen, just tremendous. Yeah, uh, what they're doing, being out there. But and then as you went through these different checkpoints and you got closer to where you were going to actually get your test, you had the people in the 
that full garb, you know, like a spacesuit. Yeah. You know, and that's, again, it hits you like, this is where we are. Like, we're, yeah. We're, wow. We're, you know, this, the seriousness of it. That to me is one of the most shocking elements of this whole thing is how quickly we went from our normal everyday life to this new normal. I mean, I feel like honestly, it was like 48 hours of when they canceled my children's last day of school until we were just here and not doing anything. I mean, we haven't been out to do anything other than grocery shop, nothing. We took a drive in the car once and it was just like, as you can imagine with four little kids trying to drive around, I thought it would be nice and relaxing. By the time it was done, I was like, had two of them in a headlock threatening the other two with spankings. It was, it was a disaster. Yeah, I mean, listen, you don't make it easy on them. You're squashing them into a Lamborghini. I mean, come on. And they're not comfortable. I mean, and which, and the only good thing about you with, you know, with the great, um, toys that you have and the great ability to to choose what car you have is that you could also choose what color Lamborghini yeah um and what color Ferrari so the kids I'm sure that's where they have fun dad I want the yellow one today yeah I, I want the well, red they went one. and they, they took they took their first trip in the Lamborghini truck so they were pretty <laughs> happy about that <laughs> I can't wait I can't wait until this episode is out there and you get those emails that uh, I know you so enjoy that will come flying your way. They will come. Oh, yeah. You know? People start asking me technical questions about my Ferrari, like, uh, you know, which which kind of wheels do you have? Do you have ceramic brakes? I'm like, listen, I hate to break the news to you, but we're not driving a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. <laughs> With or without a beard. <laughs> The beard is weird. I'm dying to hear the feedback, though. I'm sure the YouTube comments will be very, very kind and friendly to me. They always are. People are great. Well, listen, today, with the obviously with the lack of boxing, there is, uh, there's never a shortage of stories to talk to you about um, history of boxing and uh, in, in particular your own history. And uh, what I'd like to do today, if it's okay with you, is talk about your experiences up in Catskill with... Um, the great Customato. If you don't mind, I'd love to ask you some questions about it and then see where we go and kind of get into some of the details that maybe haven't been discussed in the past. Go ahead. Some of the people who've read your book or listened to the audio version may have a, a brief understanding of how you came to be acquainted with Cuss and how you ended up in the Catskills. But just to kick this off, do you want to give just a quick description of how you first came in touch with Cuss and what led you to Catskills and how the how the how the early days of the relationship began? Yeah, some of it, I won't go too deep. Um, yeah, because they can get Rob will be very happy what I'm about to say. They can get the audio book if they want to go deeper. And I, and and listen, I'd say that half kidding. I I wouldn't hold anything back if somebody wanted to hear something. Tell me, I'll tell it to you. You don't have to go buy the book, but um, obviously for just for time the sake of time constraints, uh, I can't go into it too much, but I was in trouble. I, I was a, you know, 18-year-old kid that was uh, drifted into trouble on that, you know, I was an idiot. Sometimes we're idiots. And, um, but like I say, I got to the right place eventually. Uh, sometimes the path is a little crooked. My path was a little crooked, and um, 
sometimes you're looking for things you don't know what you're looking for and it takes you a long time to realize what it is that you weren't looking for versus what you were you thought you were looking for so i was lost and i was on the streets acting dumb and got myself in trouble and i got an opportunity during this period and obviously i'm leaving out a lot of details purposely because of what i just said so we can move this forward i wound up with an opportunity to go up to customado during this tumultuous time in my life um where as a young kid i could be with this not only this master uh who had been basically retired and there was just a legend about him but he was retired up in Catskill and was semi retired and i would have an opportunity to go up there and be in a safe place be up in two and a half hours away from my troubles you know the stuff i put myself into and i'd be able to be in a safe place and box and learn something learn something not just about boxing but about life so and i was good friends with kevin rooney at the time and we had been friends since we were kids and he had gone up there four months earlier because he won the new york own gloves give you a time reference 1975 he won the gloves and I had boxed with him and I was in a gym in a PAL gym with him and he went up there to turn pro eventually and had an opportunity because of friendships, which I also knew them too, but Kevin knew them better. Uh, I got to know them better though as time went on with the great writing family, very talented family uh, from Brooklyn, the Hamels. I mean, Peter Hamill was a great writer uh, wrote novels and was the editor of different newspapers, the Daily News, different papers uh, at different times. Dennis Hamill, unbelievable writer. John Hamill, Brian Hamill, tremendous photographer, did a lot of Woody, uh, a lot of uh, the Woody um, Allen movies, uh, the still photography stuff for that. So you had a really talented family. They were boxing fans. They were from Brooklyn. They knew Kevin. And they made it, they opened the door for him to go with this semi-retired, retired, legendary boxing girl, Customado, who had Floyd Patterson, Jose Torres. And he was up basically in this uh, nine-bedroom Victorian mansion that was over 100 years old on 10 acres of land on the Hudson River and he was up there and he invited me he got cussed to say yeah I could go up there so I went up there and when I went up there I started training to box I wound up going into a tournament winning the Adirondack Corn Gloves and becoming one of Cuss's fighters but it was a very quiet time up there because the because really didn't have anybody there other than Kevin, another kid, Kenny Zimmer, who later on became a referee. Uh, 
and a few kids that came from across the river uh, that would come over to our gym every once in a while with a guy named Freddie Sheba. God bless him. I'm sure he's he's passed by now. He was an older man at that time. And so, again, it was we'd be training during the day, and that was about it. And I lived that kind of lifestyle, you know, doing road work, training, going in the gloves, winning the gloves. And obviously having an getting to know Cuss, living in the house. Uh, I shared a bedroom on, on the third, it was a very big bedroom on the third floor with Kevin. Wound up being up there, it turns out I wound up being up there almost eight years. But uh, I I lived, I my bed was on one side of the room, his was on the other side, there was a pool table in the middle. And no air conditioning, so it got hot. Hmm during the summers up there, you know, and just living a fighter's life, really, you know, away from all the distractions and influences that weren't too good, obviously, in my life, away from all that, and around this guy who talked wisdom, you know, he talked philosophy, you know, he talked life. How long were you training as a boxer before you segued into, like, more of the training? Was Did you have, was it a neck injury or back injury? Yeah, well, I was training already down in New York, Staten Island, in the PAL as a fighter. And then I spent a year up there with him. And then I had a, a back problem. And Cus talked me into, again, I the book goes into it more, uh, I want to not have it be too long here, but I wanted to fight, and yeah. Cus wanted me to fight, but then this happened, and Cus talked me into becoming a trainer. He thought I had an ability to teach. Matter of fact, he said, oh, you're a born trainer, born teacher, actually, not born trainer, born teacher, because there's a difference between teacher and trainer. Trainer could just say, go do five over here, do six over here, and I'll check you out in a half hour. You know, uh, <laughs> but a teacher teaches. You know, it's different. He has to know. He has to have an ability to transfer his knowledge to you. And um, so he thought I had that. And there was a lot of things going on. I, I had my trial date. Uh, I... I reached that trial date during that year and Cus came down and spoke on my behalf in front of the judge. It was, you know, it was serious. I, I, was, a, I was a serious idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and I was facing a lot of time, 10 years. And uh, thank God, you know, through all my stupidity, I hurt myself more than I hurt anyone else, although I shouldn't say that. But thank God no one else got hurt. But I shouldn't say that because I hurt my family. Mm -hmm. But then I tried to make it up for it when I finally discovered the right path, you know, and knew what I wasn't trying to do mm -hmm. and what I wanted to try to do. And because talking on my behalf and, my lawyer doing a good job. Uh, I got, I had spent some time obviously before that in Rikers 
a little, just a little bit where, you know, when I first got incarcerated, but during the period that I was out on bail, and like I said, I spent all that time up in Catskill, I found a direction, and, you know, but sometimes you're not, even when you think that you're there, you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when the cloud was removed of fear that was over me of going to jail, I went back to, I didn't stay up there. Cuss wanted me to stay up there to train all the fighters because I told you, I described the yep. place, it was barren. He wanted me to stay up there and train all the fighters. I didn't want to do that. I was too, I was too young. I I couldn't think about doing that. I wasn't ready to do that. Um, selfishness, I'm sure. Uh, you know, want to do what I thought was more fun. What you think is easier sometimes is harder. But you don't know. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Staten Island and did the same old crap, getting in trouble again. You know, everything else. I picked this thing up on the side of my face during that time because obviously I went back to doing stupid stuff in the street and stuff. I wasn't I wasn't ready to learn. And uh so I went back, but during that period that I went back, it was a one year period. During that period and I didn't know that I was ever gonna go back to Catskill. But during that period that I went back, Cus kept in touch with me every day and you know, he cared about me and he always tried to get me to come back. You know, and he understood that one of the most important things to me was just loyalty. Yeah. Because when you don't get it, you want it. When I got in trouble, a couple of the guys that were older than me, they got talked into kind of giving me up. Mm-hmm. That's not loyal. Yeah. And I didn't do it. So I. You, you, I thought loyalty was, was something important. Was, was, it was just, um, it was interesting to me. It was, it, it was, it was, just something that was valuable. Yeah, you know, uh, I saw my father as a doctor. Was loyal to patients. He went to see patients. Loyalties in different forms. He went to see patients when he was sick. When he when he when he when he had trouble with his heart, uh, and he was putting a nitro pill under his tongue, I didn't know what that was. I was a little kid, mm-hmm. but but he he was he was still loyal to his patients. Yeah, he had surgery. He he went and still went and saw patients a day after the surgery. Come on, <laughs> come on, <laughs> you know, and loyalty, and I saw it and I wanted it. I just, I wanted it. Do you remember what, what was the turning point when Cuss convinced you to come back to Catskill? Like, was there an incident where you were like, okay, that's it. I got to get out of here. Well, that was the thing. He played on the loyalty. He he was a recognizer of traits, of human conditions. Cuss, Cuss had x-ray vision that way. He saw it. He knew. So he said, okay, I need you to help me. Kevin Rooney's fighting in the Ohio State Fair. Back in those days, the Ohio State Fair was a national tournament, the biggest national tournament in boxing, as 
bigger than the Nationals. I mean, it was, it was huge. It was the Ohio State Fair. Three rings running at one time. Everybody in the country was there. Everyone. And Rudy was trying to make the Olympic team. So winning the Ohio State Fair gave you a leg up in that day. So he went or well, winning the Nationals, got you invited to the trials. Th these tournaments were important. The best of the best. So he knew. He said, ah, I know how to get Ted. So he called me up. He said, listen, Kevin Rooney's going to the Ohio State Fair. He needs somebody to work his corner. I need you. He knew that I would. I didn't feel like going to the Ohio State Fair <laughs> and giving up, <laughs> giving up this great life of hanging out all night on the street and, and fighting every day and, <laughs> and having tie irons every once in a while hit you in the head or try to... <laughs> Oh, I didn't want Ken, I didn't want to lose. That would be like you losing your Lamborghini. You know what I mean? I didn't want to give that up. I was too yep. smart. What a great thing I had, idiot, right? Yeah. So I, but Cuz knew that's all he had to say. I need you. Nothing else. I need you to do this. Bang. I, I'm going to Ohio State Fair with Kevin Rooney for a week. And... And he made it all the way to the finals. He should have won. And, of course, Cus knew how to feed me. He said, ah, you did a great job. You got We beat Davey Moore, future world champion. I think we beat him in the quarterfinals. Davey Moore from New York. Great kid. Yep. Great uh, world champion, junior middleweight champion. God bless him. He's not with us no more. Terrible accident. And um, he, he's, a, he's the fighter that Roberto Duran won his title back from in Madison Square. I was there. And... We beat Davey Moore in the quarters, and then we beat, I'm trying to remember who we beat in the semis. All good fighters. And then we fought bad, but not, I'm going to get people out there that are going to send stuff in. I know it. I know it. We got real fans. <laughs> bad Bernard Mays from the crock. Fast. He was, he was, hey, he was bad. He was, he was bad. He wasn't called bad for, you know, not being good. <laughs> As a fighter. So he, he, uh, we fight him in the finals. And Rooney had tender skin. You know, he did. He'd start bleeding during the national anthem. I mean, <laughs> he, he, it was one of the weaknesses, you know? I mean, what are you going to do? You can't control that. Yeah. So here we are. We fought five times that week already, four times, five times. I, I, I'm not sure. And here we are, and we're in the finals with Bernard Mays and figured out how we're going to fight him. And what happens? He gets cut right over the eyelid. Uh, in the first round and the safety came first they were very careful uh they stopped the fight after the first round on the cut kevin was going to win the fight i know you could say that at that time were you were you in the corner like were you got was it just you and kevin or in other words did you have a cut man with you or were you doing everything well i did everything but but in the amateurs you couldn't really deal with i mean the way you could uh, cut in a 10 round fight yeah you just put pressure vastly and you know yeah and, and if it was cut they come and they look and they stop it because in the amateurs it's all about protecting the the fighter and the safety level you know unless you were one of their favorites they might <laughs> of they, course. you know what i mean something got in their eye 
and they didn't see that the guy was cut. You know what I mean? Like, I, oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> you know, and they let him. That's not just in the amateurs. You remember when Tyson Fury looks like he got shot with a bazooka in his eye and they let him keep going? Was it against Otto Wallen? Yeah, there's no way. If that was Otto Wallen, they would have stopped that the second that cut opened oh, up. Oh, my goodness. That was as bad as we've so, seen. I mean, really, you didn't have to be, like I say on ESPN, you didn't have to be the amazing Kreskin to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was his way of getting me back, and and then of course you know I took care of Kevin every day. I made sure he ate right, made sure he made weight. You have to make weight every day. Yeah, you, you gotta, you know, go, go through all the things. I mean, little things like we got a rainstorm. It was outdoors, three rings, and a rainstorm started one day, and in the middle of. Here we are, and, and you'd be fighting at 2 in the morning because there were so many fighters in the preliminary rounds, Ken. And here we are, the Ohio State Fair, mud every, dirt everywhere, now it's mud, and you got guys up in the ring sliding across the ring right outside the ring. But why? Like, like it was an ice skating contest. <laughs> I, I mean, it was crazy. And, but they got to keep going because they got so many fights to get through. So you got guys getting in there, and again, and there's mud all over the ring, and guys are sliding, falling, everything. So I'm looking, I'm saying, all right, Kevin, stay, stay here. I found an area under a tent somewhere. I said, all right, we well, stay here, keep your shoes clean, keep, uh, and let me get some plastic bags. Kevin was like, what are you gonna do? I said, just let me figure this out. So I went, I got plastic bags, I put them around his shoes, I taped them. <laughs> And then, because where you accumulated the mud, Ken, was the walk to the ring. Because you're, yeah. you're walking through a fairground, you yeah. know? <laughs> so I, I got plastic bags on his feet. And, and, and Kevin's looking at me. He said, what are you doing? I said, just, we're going to put these on. And we're going to get to the ring clean. And then when we're up, just before we start, I'll take them off. And you're going to have an edge on the other guy. You you won't have mud all over your shoes, <laughs> and, and you won't slip. And and then I took scissors and I you know I scored the bottom of the shoes to give more traction. Just little things like that. And when so we we won the fight that night. We were the only one that wasn't sliding, yeah, looking yeah. looking like Olympic <laughs> skaters. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, and. And we win the fight. And I also told him, bend your knees more, sit down more. You know, take steps. Don't, don't, don't move the way you normally move. M move more like with short steps. You know, stuff like that. Just it was common sense to me. And and when Cuz heard about it afterwards, heard about the conditions, he said, Ah, see, see, I told you, you're a trainer. So you know, he started working on me, and he was, you know, and then like I said, I I spent that year. I spent that year back in uh, New York getting in trouble. I picked up this stoop, you know, the scar on my side of my face, living the life I was living. And uh, finally, uh, I went back to Catskill after one year. Circumstances led me back. A couple kids from the neighborhood came up to me. I was hanging out on the street, and they said, could you teach us how to box? And for some reason, I was inclined to say yes. And I started teaching them in a little rundown gym, and then it closed during the summer. So I took a little bit of equipment, I went to a park with them, and I started training them in the park. And uh, I trained them every day, I gave them rules, I gave them curfews, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm training them there every day, you know? And uh, years later, a priest used to take what he called his constitution. That's a fancy way of saying he took his walk. You know, Father Murphy, 
and he would take his walk and he used to it was sometimes there was things going on in the park selling drugs different stuff so he didn't always feel safe it's terrible when a priest doesn't feel safe you know i know right? that's not good that's what i was just thinking right so he would he said he years later he told my mother in church he said i always felt good he was an irish fella and he would talk with a broke and he said, I always felt good with the lads when I saw Teddy and the lads up there boxing. I felt better, secure, safer. <laughs> so he would shorten up his walk. Instead of walking, you know, for an hour this way, he'd go back and forth always with, within our eyesight. So he felt better that way, you know. And it was funny. Yeah. After a while, he got comfortable. He, he passed by. I'll keep, uh, keep your left up. Uh, keep, uh, left drop and uh, sagging a bit. I would say, oh, just, all right, Father Murphy, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. All right, Father Murphy, all right? In, in church, you say amen. Here, I'm the one who says you keep your left up, okay? But, you know, things like that. It was funny. It was crazy. But it was uh, part of the path, it turned out. And so I was doing that, and came a day where I got in trouble, and I knew... Uh, sometimes it's easier to do something for someone else than yourself. Yep. I couldn't do the right thing for myself for some reason. But then these two kids that I had been training and I was responsible for, uh, one of them came to my house and he was ready to put his life in jeopardy because I had had a fight in the street and the guys were going to be supposedly looking for me. Like, you don't tell people you're looking for someone, Ken. You know what I mean? If you really, I mean, that's not the way it's supposed to work. You know? Oh, like can I can I tell you one one quick story about about along those lines? When the last time we recorded in New York, I, I think I told you this story. I get on the subway down in Tribeca. Uh, after we record and I'm on a packed subway, it's 5 p.m. shoulder to shoulder and a Spanish guy gets on the subway car and a black guy gets on behind him. And the Spanish guy is like a construction worker, maybe like in his 30s. And the black guy says under his breath, like effing bag or something. And the Spanish guy turns around and he's like, are you talking to me? I mean, th Teddy, this thing went from zero to 100 in like a split second. So now they're screaming at each other and the, and the black guy starts putting his hand in his pocket and the Spanish guy's saying, get your hand out of your pocket. Like, and he, and they're basically like threatening that they're going to, and now the subway is packed with white collar workers and some woman is like, pull the stop sign, emergency stop. And for some reason I just jumped in, maybe my old like prison guard instincts kicked in, but I'm like, I don't want to stop the subway car. Like I've, we've been recording all day. I just want to go home and get something to eat. So I jumped in between them and I was like, guys, enough, come on. There's a packed subway. Get you, please go over there. At the, so the Spanish guy was sensible. He's like, all right, go over here. And the black guy said, yeah, you're lucky you're going to get stabbed. And the Spanish guy yelled at him. You ain't going to do anything. You know how I know? Cause people who are going to do something, don't talk about it. They just do it. <laughs> and that was the end of it. And that was, and everyone just kind of like, no, even like white, all these white collar people just kind of nodded like, yeah, that's a good point. And off we went and they stayed apart. But every time I think about that, when people are talking about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Nah, most people aren't going to tell you before they stab you or do something really hurtful. You're right. I mean, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. And uh, the guys were, so, you know, I, I had had a fight of, you know, a fair fight and with these guys and they didn't like whatever. And so now the 
supposedly they're going to kill me. So this kid that I'm training, and he, again, loyalty. Yeah. Loyalty, so powerful, so powerful. And uh, he, you know, he comes and comes to my house. You know, I'm living with my parents, and uh, he's got something with him. And he says, we, we shouldn't wait around. Uh, you know, uh, for them, to, I said they ain't gonna do nothing. This, I, they don't want to fight. He says it ain't about fighting, Ted. You know, it's about you walking somewhere one day, not even thinking about it, and and you're not here no more. He said, I think that they could actually do that because they are a little bit cowardly, and um, he said so. Let's not wait. And he showed me this thing, you know. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, let's go get them, you know, so we don't have to wait. And I thought now I could be what I needed to be and be the stupidity stops. Mm -hmm. Because if I continue this stupid path of myself, it's now affecting these this kid who's ready to ruin himself for me. I ain't letting that happen. And that gave me a certain strength. That gave me a certain direction. That gave me a certain, I can't even tell you, but it gave me, a, just woke me up and said, I, I need to be better. This kid thinks something of me that he's willing to risk his freaking life for me. I got to be better. I'm not that, but I got to become that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. And I just, I walked into the house and Cuz been trying for one year to get me. I called him up and said, Cuz, you still want me to come up? Come up now! <laughs> uh, God bless him. He said, come up right now. You coming up? <laughs> I said, "I said, well, wait a minute. There's a little bit. It's not that simple. Yes, it is. You get on the train. You get on the Amtrak train. You come up. I said, no, it's not that simple. I have been training. I got two kids. I think at first he was like, you got... You had kids, you had baby. I said, no, 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 not kids. Because I would call the fight, it just was a natural thing. You call them kids. Yeah. Even though I'm only a couple of years older, you know? So yeah, yeah, I said, yeah. I got two kids. You got kids? <laughs> you know, like, like, you got someone pregnant? And uh, no, no, not, I, I, I got two fighters. Fighters? You been training fighters? I told you you were trained. Don't see? I said, look, look, it's a long <laughs> story. I, 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 um, it's it's not like they're ready to fight Jake LaMotta. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I said, look, I got to bring them with me. I can't leave these. He said, okay, bring them with you, but come. And I brought them up. And those kids stayed there nine months, got them jobs. They worked. They fought. They boxed. They straightened their lives out. They got in the right. They're both good kids. They're both in good places now because of boxing, because of that mm -hmm. time they were there. But it wasn't for them. A lifetime of this, but yeah. they stayed eight, nine months. I stayed eight years or seven more years, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the rest, the rest is what it is, you know, uh, I guess. But Cus uh, got his way, you know. He he got me to be his trainer. I went up there, and now I became a full fledged trainer. We went from a gym that had two, three kids in it to ten, fifteen. 20, 30, 
40, 50. We, we had a full-blown gym. And I was there, you know, I was obsessed. I was obsessed. I was training pros during the day. Jim Jacobs would send pros to Custard. I would train during the day. I was training Wilfred Benitez when I was... I mean, he was one of the greatest fighters of all time. I was like 21 years old. <laughs> and and he, I mean, there's a guy who is the youngest world champion. It's never going to be broken. He was 17 years old, yeah. and he won the world title. Outdoors yeah. in Puerto Rico, in the rain, against Kid Pompelay, Antonio Cervantes from Colombia, a great fighter. And, and he's 17 years old, and he wins the junior welterweight title, and he goes on to win... The welterweight against Carlos Palomino. I trained him for that fight. And he goes on then to win the junior middleweight title against Maurice Hope from London. So he's a three-division champion. I mean, just, and I'm, here I am. I get to train guys like him. Like I said, during the day, Jimmy would send these pros. And I'd be there at night. And I'd be in the gym seven days a week. Uh <laughs> Just developing fighters, and and I wanted my, I wanted my man to see it, you know. Cause how much time would he spend at the gym with you in those early days? Very little. Uh, just I already knew because I spent that first year being a fighter. Mm -hmm. So he he wouldn't come. I would go alone, really, for the most part, because he wasn't geared at that point in his life yep. to be putting in those kind of hours. I know what he, I know, I understand it better now as a grandfather because, man, it's hard getting on that floor with my grandchildren every day. <laughs> it's hard, Ken. It, it, it is. It, it's not hard getting on the floor. It's hard getting up. <laughs> it, it, it's hard getting up. Yeah. And, and every day. So for us to go to the gym and do what I, I was doing it, you know, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm young. I'm, I, 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 nothing tired me. Nothing slowed me down. You know, I just, I go, you know. You you go all day. Yeah. He would only come, he wouldn't come during the day. He wouldn't come at night. He would only come periodically. He would make sure somebody was there to drive him home because he said, this Atlas will stay there at freaking midnight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if there's a kid that's having a problem, he'll, he'll wind up talking. And I did. I, like if a kid was having a problem, and I'd, I'd have to talk to the kid, straighten it out, you know. I remember there was, sometimes it was funny. I get a kick out of it. We were above the police station, and the courtroom, the courtroom was right across the hallway from the gym. So when I needed to talk to a kid about problems or something at home or whatever he was going through, I'd go in the courtroom. I got a kick out of it. I'd sit in the judge's chair, you know, put my feet up, you know. <laughs> and I would think to myself every once in a while, it wasn't long ago that I was on that side of the bench, you know, and <laughs> and it was, and I wasn't sitting here, you know. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was kind of reflective to to think about that. But I, I was, I was all in, and Cuz was right. There was something, you know, what he was. It caught fire. He couldn't throw me out of the gym, and like I said, he wasn't there much. He'd only come maybe once a week, twice a week. Sometimes he wouldn't come for a week. Sometimes he wouldn't mm -hmm. come for a week and a half. And I would I would I wanted him to come so bad because I wanted him to see what I was doing. I remember one time he'd been gone maybe two weeks and I I got him to come to the gym and he came and he I never forget him. Because I didn't get paid nothing for this, you know, of course. 
Like Cus said, you go to college <laughs> and you're not paying the tuition. I got you. <laughs> you know, I got you. I'm going to Harvard. Ah, it's better than Harvard. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> Harvard. <laughs> what, what is Harvard? <laughs> what, is, what is Harvard? So, it's all right. Yeah. That's for shoemakers. This is real intelligence. <laughs> this is real learning. That's, that's, <laughs> I said, all right. This is real life. What do they do with dinner? All right, whatever. They're pretty smart, I think, some of those guys. But <laughs> so I would be... I would be just, couldn't wait to get him to come, and he'd come in. And I'll never forget the first time when he came in after a period of time had been, you know, gone by. He comes in, Ken, and he says, and look, it wasn't no accident. He was a genius. He had to keep me going. You got to you gotta put fuel in a car, Ken. Fuel to a human being too, Ken. Yep. You know? It's called, you know, satisfying the ego, the spirit. He was a genius. And what does he say? Uh, he says, just like, not directly to me, because that would lose the force. He says to the people there, he goes, look at what Atlas is doing here. He's creating a stable of fighters. He's creating a gym of champions. Oh, my God. He might as well have given me like $100,000 in uh, small bills. <laughs> <laughs> right? Really? I was like, wow, wow, custom model said that, wow. And that was good for another year. <laughs> that was good for another year. So when you would train guys, would you go back to the house and then debrief with Cuss and tell him what thing guys are working on? Like how much time would you spend talking about the, the, the training strategies for some of the guys like a Kevin Rooney or some of the other younger pros, let's say? Uh, time, but not a lot. But just, you know, if I had a problem, I'd say, you know, I'm having trouble. He's getting hit with right hands or every once in a while he loses Cuss right away, you know. Or he hasn't gotten to the point where he can keep his concentration consistent enough. You know, he, he reminded me of my father. When my father, he was a great diagnostic doctor. Yeah. I would call my father up in Catskill when I was up there and making him feel proud. Thank God. Thank God. And I'd be up there and something be wrong. I'd call my father. Listen, God. All right, he's got this uh, soak, soak it in Epsom salt. Do this. Uh go get this, go pick up this and uh, lay him off. And he would just, he'd hear what I was describing on the phone and he told me exactly what was wrong. So I was, same thing, he, he knew how to diagnose the problem just by hearing it. So I'd tell Cus the same thing right away, you know. Uh, I'd say, well, you know, he's getting hit with the, once in a while he's getting hit with the, with the uh, right hand. Well, he's not moving after the jab. He's getting hit because he's getting time with the jab, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's not moving his head after he jabs. Oh, he's not moving it quick enough. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Yes, of course. One of the things that he's also noted, noted for is um, all of the great expressions and sayings he's had over the year, over the years, and uh, maybe talk to some of those and um, some of the some of your favorites. Ken, people who are born round don't die square. <laughs> all right. I like that one. Yep. Um, a reporter one time asked him. Hey, this is, this is coming from, don't pin it on me. <laughs> a reporter one time asked him, who was worth, worse at that time? 
Don King or Bob Arum? Cuz said Arum. The reporter asked, why? Cuz said, because I don't think God could have made the same mistake twice. <laughs> hey, that's that's his thoughts. Uh, you know, it goes both ways. I'm, I'm sure Aram didn't like him either. <laughs> well, speaking of Bob Aram, I know my beard is better than his. I saw an interview with him with Ariel Hawani, and his beard did not look good. <laughs> so I know that I don't have the worst beard. I think I think you're right. I think that um, the saying that stuck with me as a lifetime lesson, lifetime metaphor, lifetime uh, just something to live by, that uh, really, really, truly impacted me because I witnessed it and saw it as time went by. He took me as a young kid and he said, Teddy, I think you can be, you know, obviously I think you could be special with something as a whatever, trainer. And um, there's certain things I want you to remember. And I'm going to tell them to you and I want you to remember them. I said, all right, cuz, I'm 18 years old, 19 years old. He says, remember this. If you remember one thing, remember this. Because your journey's about life. And life is like boxing. There's rounds. You win some, you lose some. But in the end, when it's over, you want to get your hand raised. And there's rules. There's rules in a ring things to abide by same thing in life and he told me no matter what a man says Teddy it's what he does in the end that he intended to do all along and you know you're 18 19 years old you don't grasp it but you do after a while as you travel down that road of life and you witness things and you experience things you go through all these things and you feel it you understand it's about excuses that's what it's about people make excuses for anything but what it comes down to is what it's not it's about choices it's about being accountable it's about your word is about what you want to do. The rest of it is all BS. It's all BS. Yeah, it's convenient to say that it. you rationalize it because we all have to rationalize things to live with it. But in the end, there's certain things that stand up to the truth and certain things that don't. And that stood up to the truth. No matter what a man says, no matter what he says, oh, this happened, that happened. Oh, uh, 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 uh. No matter what a man says, what he does in the end is what he intended to do all along. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there were there were a lot of a lot of things. I made notes to try to remind myself of some of them, but he had a lot of. Uh, Great sayings, uh, a lot of wisdom. I tell you, uh, I remember one time 
I'm driving back up to Catskill with them. We used to go down every once in a while to get equipment down to Everlast on Bruckner Boulevard in the Bronx, the original warehouse, and it was something, just taking that trip. <laughs> come on, come on, we're going to Everlast. And we'd drive down there, and then we're driving on, and he's watching my speedometer to see how fast I'm going. And, you know, I want to get going a little bit, you know. I'm a young kid. I'm trying to get moving. And he said, don't go over the speed limit. All right. And all of a sudden, he would he was getting older. He would fall asleep on me, you know. So I had to yeah, peek yeah. over and see him like. <laughs> so I said, all right, you know, natural, right? I'm not being sneaky. Uh, it's just uh, I'm, the speedometer goes to 60 now, 65, 70. You know, I'm getting up there a little bit, yeah, yeah. 70, uh, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I see him moving, you know. All right, I slow, bring it back down to 55, you know. All of a sudden, <laughs> he goes, he look over, he goes, mm. you were speeding. I said, what do you mean I was speeding? <laughs> you were speeding. Don't do that to yourself. Do what? Lie. Don't even go there. You don't want to do that to yourself, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I said, "What is this guy a, a freaking a mystic? Like he's got he's got me all like afraid to, you know? I want yeah, I want to lie. <laughs> yeah, I want to lie, but I'm afraid to lie now because I don't know what you got on me." You got a camera? I don't know what you got up yours. What do you got? So I said, yeah. so I tested out, right? I said, yeah, no, I want. You want to stick with that? Well, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I was going. When you were telling me this story, all I can think about is my time with you in Philadelphia for eight weeks. And I mean, it sounds like. We could just swap the name out, cuss, and uh, insert Teddy. And you know what he did, though? <laughs> I said, how do you know? All right, okay. How do you know I was going? I was speeding? He said, because when I went to sleep, I let you think I was sleeping. <laughs> I closed my eyes. I, I looked at the mile marker, and then I timed to the next mile marker. <laughs> oh, my God. I couldn't even phantom it. I was, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Who am I here with? I'm, I'm like, I'm with like Captain Kirk from the, from the Star Trek, the Enterprise, the SS Enterprise. We're not driving a car anymore. I mean, we're beyond the car. He, he's, he's timing mile markers, Ken. Uh. So this was life for me with Cuss, you know? Yeah. That was beautiful. But there was a lot to it. And then we get down to we get down there to Everlast and we go into John uh John Tom's office. He was I think he was the vice president at the time. And uh I think he was the nephew of the guy who originated uh uh, uh not the nephew, the grandson, I think. Um, of the guy who originated it, whatever, or the grandfather. And uh, we get down there, Cuts had a long-lasting, obviously, relationship with Everlast. And he told me, he says, only get, go, this, I go there, you go there. <laughs> this, is my, this is my trainer, this is my man. He will be doing this years from now. I was like thinking to myself, I, 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 I will. I, <laughs> I, 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 well, I'm going to be coming down from Catskill when I'm like, you know, at this age, yeah, I don't know about that. But 
you know, <laughs> I'm there with him. And he says, okay, hey, cousin, they're all ready for him. You know, it was like, a, it was like uh, you know, uh, royalty came into place. All right, cousin. And he went through the same thing. He goes, you know, I can, you know, I was with your grandfather when he started this business in the basement <laughs> ac- across the street. I know, cuss. And he told me I always get 50% off. Cuss, you got 50% off. Always. I just, uh, you, all right. You, I just reminded you. <laughs> cuss, you always get 50% off, cuss. Of course. Okay. Let's go to the warehouse. And, you know, we sit <laughs> and we go to the warehouse and go right into the warehouse. There was no, like, going to the showroom or, you know, like anyone else. We walked right into the figure, and there was a guy named Doc that was there. And he, he'd throw in extra things. He cuss, like, yeah, throw a few of those shirts in there. The kids like them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he'd pick up, you know, he'd pick up a thing like like this thick of uh, shirts. You know what I mean? When they're all stuck together. And he has this cuss. Ah, go a little thicker. Uh, <laughs> go a little thicker. You know, and throw, there you go. You know, throwing the shirts and get, and uh, it was something. And then we had to go past, because was brought up. I, I ever show, yes, yeah, you did a few times. I ever show you where, I, don't, don't be a wise guy. I, I'm not. I ever show you where I grew up. Come on, we'll go past that. Come on, I'll show you where we grew up. All right, cuz. And, you know, we, we go we go driving down the street, and uh, he said, I, I grew up. I grew up over here. I said, I know. And um, he said to me, you know who grew up across the street? Uh, who lived across the Yeah, I know. Dutch Schultz, Murderers Incorporated. I said, all right, okay. Well, okay, glad everything turned out okay. You didn't get into any arguments with your neighbors. <laughs> you know, Doug Schultz grew up over I know, I know, Cuts. Uh, he, he lived over here. Is that right? And then uh, we finally, you know, eventually wind up on the New York State Thruway going back <laughs> to Catskill, you know. But... uh it was a lot of, a lot of life. When you were up there uh, and had downtime, what would you guys do? Would you spend a lot of time watching old fights? Would you watch just regular TV? What was like day to day life when you weren't in the gym? What was day to day life like up there? We would watch film, sixteen millimeter, Ken. You know, Jim Jacobs and and uh, Bill Caton owned the biggest fight film collection in the world. It was called Big Fights uh, Inc. Mm-hmm. and you know, it was 16 millimeters on a projector. And we would put it on, the cuss showed me how to do it so I could watch anything I wanted. And anything I wanted, I, I tell cuss he called Jim Jacobs, or I would call Jim Jacobs. Hey, send me a Henry Armstrong. You got it. It'll be up there in a couple of days, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and we watched tapes, films up there. Uh, but, you know, not all the time, but whenever we want it. And... Sometimes me and Cus would watch a tape together, you know. Say, so see this Armstrong? Can you imagine Atlas if we could get a heavyweight that could fight like Henry Armstrong? <laughs> Twelve rounds, perpetual motion. Can you imagine? And what did we get? We got one. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you yeah. imagine? 
and we got one. We wound up getting one years later, you know, but we got one. But, uh, you know, we would watch the tapes on, like I said, uh, I tell you, Cuss, Cuss like watching Bonnie Mill and 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 <laughs> uh, Mash and all that, and he he had his idiosyncrasies, his eccentricism. Geniuses are usually eccentric, and so he had his his ways, you know, definitely. And he would, uh, I tell you a great story. I'm watching. I didn't get much time. When I got time, you know, I go out to try. Well, I'd watch maybe something depending on the time. But I'm always in the gym. This was during the Olympics. And I'm watching the Olympics. And Cuz didn't watch anything other sports other than boxing. He used to come in if I watch football. What are you watching, Atlas? What are you, what are you watching there, Teddy? I'm watching football. <laughs> what is that thing? It's a ball. <laughs> yeah, how come it's got a funny shape to it? Don't look like a ball. Come on, cuz. Come on, please. <laughs> you don't know what a freaking football is. Wait, come on. Wait. It's, why is it shaped like that? Like, you know, I, really? I mean, like, <laughs> you what, you grow up in a ring? Like, you, you were born literally in, like, a ring? Like, during the eighth round? <laughs> So, but that was cause. So I'm watching the Olympics. I'm watching the gymnastics. Back then, that was huge. And I hope I get the name right. But I was watching History in the Making. I, I didn't know it at the time. Nobody did. But every once in a while, you're privy to watch History in the Making. And I was. I was watching, I believe it was Nadia Kamenich. I think she was... I think she was from Romania. And I believe it was Nadia Kamenich. But Rob will confirm in a little while. I know afterwards. Yeah. And I'm watching it, and she's like 12 years old, maybe 13. And she looked like she was like 10. And mm -hmm. she's she's up on a balancing beam. And nobody in the history of the Olympics, the long history in gymnastics, had ever ever performed a 10 mm -hmm. ever i think i'm right rob my man had confirmed that too and here i am you know unbeknownst to me here i am this trainer in the making that you know everything is boxing 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 i'm glad to get a little relief i'm watching this and it catches my eye and i can't get away from it i'm watching and i can't stop watching this little 12 year old whatever she was 14 years old. She's on this balancing beam and she her legs are up in the air and then they come over and her head's here. So her head is here and her legs are coming over her head parallel with her head and they got the camera on her face. Oh my God. I just know I'm watching something different. And I'm, I have no idea what, you know, gymnastics was really other than what I'm watching now and it was a lot better than watching bass fishing you know what I mean they put that on sometimes <laughs> and I and I'm looking at her and cuss happens to walk and he used to always bust my chops if I was watching anything but boxing he would say what are you wasting your time for put boxing on you're not learning nothing watching that 
So he comes walking in at the exact time as Nadia Kamenich's legs are going over her head, and she's there, and she's there, and this look on her face, this focus, this concentration, and she's like this. Cus walks in, and he he says, "What are you doing? What do you want?" And he looks at the TV set, and he points. Ken, he points and goes, champion, and he walks out of the room. <laughs> Just, that was it. I mean, really, that tells you all you need to know about Cus. He points, he goes, oh, champion, 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 and he walks out of the room. And next thing I know, I'm listening to the commentators I'm like, what did Cus just do? And I'm listening to the commentators, and all of a sudden they're saying, we are watching history. Ten! 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 I'm like, holy cow. You know, I I pick up fast. Like, yeah. I guess there's never been a ten. There's never <laughs> been a ten before. And there it is. Uh, there it is. Just a little glimpse in a different way of someone who is a master a master at recognizing champions that it's all the same Ken that's what I learned from that that he saw just by that look in her face by that concentration what it was taken to contort her body that way and freeze it that way in no circumstances on that stage to do that it took the quality of a champion the concentration, the character, the will, whether it was Muhammad Ali or Nadia Kamenich, all the same. Champion. Stayed with me forever. One of the things I meant to ask you when we first started, when we first started getting into this conversation was how, how aware were you of Cus's status as a legendary trainer and how did you become aware of this like were you a, a student of the game from your early days like how did you become aware of like who Cus was and what kind of legendary trainer he was and how old was he at that point when you first went up there just people telling me mm -hmm. people just people I wasn't aware of it. Kevin told me. He said, this guy's a legendary guy, Teddy. He's, you know, he's living in basically in seclusion. You know, he's he's a he's a legendary guy. He chased a mob out of boxing. You know, all this stuff that, you know, was, was, was tales and stories. And he was just, I didn't know any of this stuff. And, it doesn't mean all of it was accurate, as I learned with time, mm -hmm. quite frankly. Uh, he fought the IBC back in the day when the IBC Jim Norris, Madison Square Garden, uh, all these guys, uh, they ran Frankie Cobble, Big Mobster. Uh, a lot of these guys ran boxing. And the IBC, the International Boxing Club, uh, ran boxing and basically uh, had a monopoly on it. And you know, told you who was going to fight for a title, who was not going to fight, who was going to be ready. You know, uh, there was corruption just like there is today, back then. But uh, in some ways, uh, in, in some ways, 
worse, but in some ways not. Like today it's not, back in those days you could see it. Kind of like you knew yeah. some of this. More overt. Well, Frankie Cobble, yeah, it was overt. And today it's like the average person can't see it. Yeah. But it's there. But they can't see. So what is worse? In some ways that's more dangerous if you can't see it, you know? But yeah. what made it more dangerous back then too was uh, you did have guys that, you know, were serious guys uh, that were in charge of certain aspects of it. And you had them in charge of all of it where today it might be dispersed in, in with different groups and different, you know, organizations where it was one overseeing it. And that if that's a bad one, it can be worse if it's one. There's no alternative. It's more concentrated. And the IBC ran everything. And when Cuss moved Floyd Patterson into position to win the heavyweight title, which was really the head of the snake, that's what ran everything, the heavyweight title. Once yeah. he got control over that, as he said, it doesn't mean his way was accurate, quite frankly, because... He wasn't, as time went on, I, I found out that I love him, but I found out that his, you know, description of things and his uh, explanation of what it was wasn't as pure as he put it for in his position of involvement. Mm -hmm. It wasn't quite as perfect. You know, he said that he was fighting the IBC, the mob, and he was, and that uh, when he won the title, he immediately put out a press release that Floyd Patterson, the heavyweight champ of the world, the biggest, still in those days, the biggest athlete in the world, to a certain extent, uh, the biggest title in the world. Uh, and of course, again, if you're talking about boxing, that's what was, you know, that's what led boxing, the heavyweight title. So if you had the heavyweight title, you were basically the boss of boxing. You were the most powerful guy in boxing. And once he got that position, he put out a memo that said, Floyd Patterson, the heavyweight champion of the world, will no longer fight any IBC-affiliated fighters. Bang. Wow. What? <laughs> So he, he was a pioneer, and he now he had to start fighting guys and creating places and creating, uh, building guys up and creating uh, some, you know, reason for you to want to see these matches uh, rather than the guys that the IPC had more readily available that were the more likely guys to be the greatest opponents. Or the greatest challenges. He he started yeah. coming up with you know offshoot guys that weren't attached to the IBC, and he needed to do that. Yeah, you know if I remember correctly, one time Robert uh, checking for me, he f I think it was was a Pete Rademacher, but it was an Olympic gold medalist. Cuz was ahead of his time. He was a guy that came up with these things, kind of like the guy that owned the Chicago White Sox years ago. Um, what was that guy's name? And 
He used to come up with all kinds of trickery, different things to bring people to the ballpark. You know, <laughs> come up, yeah, yeah, come up with all ki- kinds of different ideas. One time, he he uh, he actually he actually signed a jockey or a midget uh, <laughs> as a baseball player. Why? Because he was sure that. He would walk every time because you couldn't strike him out because his strike yeah. zone was so small. <laughs> you know, and it was just a way of bringing people. So Cuz had to come up with, and you either have it or you don't. So Cuz came up. He said, we're going to fight Pete Rackham, Rademacher. And now it's no, again, you had to get someone who wasn't with IBC, and you had to give, you had to have some selling point to it. Of course, it was going to be a big advantage to Patterson because Cus wanted to protect Patterson. But at the same time, yeah. the 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 magic of it was to make it look like it could be competitive. Yeah. So so I think it was Pete Rademacher who was an Olympic gold medalist, and he signed them to fight Patterson in his first pro fight, fighting for the heavyweight <laughs> title. Am I right, Rob? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine, Ken? No, no. You know, I can't. First pro fight, and you know, did the guy make it out of the ring? I alive? think Patterson got dropped. If I if I remember, I mean, the guy was a gold medalist. <laughs> I think he got dropped, and then Patterson knocked him out in one round or two rounds. Rob's gonna come up with it, but but whatever it was, these are the kinds of things that were going on. Yeah, that Cus was doing, you know, and um, and like I said, he. You know he would, but but he forgot to tell you. He told me, yeah. But he forgot to say that while he was fighting all this, these people and his power, and this, you know, scourge. He was one of his main guys was a guy named Charlie Black, mm-hmm. aka Charlie Antonucci, aka yeah. cousin of. Uh, of uh, Tony Salerno. <laughs> Tony Salerno was uh, arguably the biggest gangster in <laughs> in the in the country, you know. Yeah. Fat Tony Salerno. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, left out a couple things, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. he was my guy. He he he. Whatever he said, I listened to, and I and then, but I had my own mind, so I I started to figure out what made sense and what was just something out of respect that it was cussed that I listened. Some of the things that I picked up on from being with you in Philadelphia. You see what Rob's got. Yeah. So it is, in fact, the first time a boxer has fought for the heavyweight world championship in their first professional fight. Rademacher floored Patterson in the second round, so knocked him down in the second round. Patterson came back to score seven knockdowns. Uh, before Rademacher was counted out at 2.57 of the sixth round. He pissed him off. <laughs> he pissed him off. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, it was it was new stuff, you know, new yeah. horizons, uh, special people doing, you know. And, and listen, I put it all out there. Um, he's my guy. He's my mentor. He's the greatest of all time. But I just put it out there with Salerno because – I'm not hiding anything, you know? Yeah. One thing, people hate me, like me, in between. I don't care. That's your choice. But I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to put it all, I'm, I'm not going to hide something for convenience. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, yeah, I'm telling you, my guy is, 
you know, he's he he might have had a few warts, but we all do. But he was still special. That's right. Some of the um, stories that I remember from the book and from spending time with you in Philadelphia um, and over the past year and a half is some of the eccentricities of Cuss and living in the house in Catskill and just wondering how many of those eccentricities you may have picked up on. And talk to me about the food organization in the house at the Catskill. I just remember you talking a little bit about this, and I think it was really interesting and entertaining. So maybe you can talk about that. Uh, shopping day was uh, was a big day. <laughs> it was uh, epic. It was, Camille would come back with all the groceries. You know, you have a house of fighters maybe, you know, depending on the time. I mean, you always had me, Rooney, this guy named Jay, and uh, and uh, at the beginning, that's all you had, Camille and Cuss. But then from time to time, you had fighters that would stay up there, you know. And then there was a period we later on, a few years later, when Tyson moved in, and we had a couple other fighters, and you know, we we had a we had a houseful. Um, so. Shopping was a big deal. Cuz, cuz, um, he loved food, coveted food. You know, he he always talked about you know being Italian and food was food was important. And even when they didn't have money, the, his father always made sure they had food. Somehow made sure they had enough food. Food was important. Food, you know. If you had food, you were okay. No matter no matter what your status on the totem pole of life was, as long as you had food, you were doing all right. So it was he was always afraid of not having enough. Hey everybody, Rob here. This one went long, so we've broken it into a part one and a part two. If you're listening to or watching this on Monday, May fourth, part two will be up on Thursday, May seventh. Hope you enjoyed part one. Uh, if you're a fan of the show, please take two minutes to review it wherever you're listening. Uh, or if you're watching on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe. Thanks, guys. We'll be back with you soon.